Chapter Two of Barbara in Brittany by E. A. Gilly, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Two, Number Fourteen, Rue Saint Sulpice. Meanwhile, Barbara and her aunt pursued their journey, and in due time arrived at Newhaven, where the first thing they were told was that the tide was unusually low at Dieppe, which would prevent them entering that harbor, and therefore they were not going to leave Newhaven for another hour and a half. Aunt Anne gazed in indignation upon their informant, and declared it was scandalous that a boat, timed to leave at a certain hour, should be so irregular and unpunctual, whereupon the captain, shrugging his shoulders, said that the lady should complain to the moon about the tides rather than to him. They managed to fill in the time very well with lunch, however, and after a little grumbling, Aunt Anne resigned herself to fate, though she was glad enough when they finally steamed out of the harbour. Miss Britton was not a very good sailor, and in preparation for the voyage, as she called the crossing, she had accumulated great stores of knowledge as to how to treat seasickness. She established herself on the upper deck, let down a deck-chair as low as it would go, and replacing her hat by a weird little tam-o'-shanter, covered her eyes with a handkerchief. "'To avoid seasickness, Barbara,' she said, "'you must lie as flat as possible, keep the eyes closed, and breathe in correspondence with the ship's motion.' though she added i really cannot tell at present which is its motion perhaps there will be more when we get farther out barbara chuckled but deferred making similar preparations until the motion was more defined for she was much too interested in what was going on around her to close her eyes to it all aunt anne asked her at intervals if it was getting rougher for though her niece assured her there were no signs of such a thing she did not venture to sit up until they were quite near yet "'Oh, aunt!' Barbara exclaimed joyfully. "'Just look at all the officials in their high-peaked hats. Don't they look nice, so Frenchy and foreign?' "'You would hardly expect them to look English,' Aunt Anne returned dryly, and began to gather together her belongings preparatory to leaving the boat. "'It is some time since I have been in France, Barbara,' she exclaimed, having been quite contented with our own beautiful land. But I remember it was best to be very quick in going to the trains, so as to get good seats.' follow me closely, child. Barbara obediently did as she was told, and having got safely through the troubles of the Douane, they chose their carriage and proceeded to arrange their possessions. "'My umbrella!' Aunt Anne cried suddenly, looking anxiously on the racks and under the seat. "'Barbara, I must have left it on the boat. Why did you not remind me? You must run back for it now, but don't let the train go without you. Run, child, run!' Barbara expediently hurried away, and after a halting and somewhat lengthy explanation on the quay, was allowed to go on board again, and spied the missing umbrella on the deck. When she returned, the train had been moved higher up, and she could not distinguish the carriage anywhere. The guard was already beginning to wave the signal, and Barbara felt she was lost as a passenger, when a dark, stout little man dashed up to her and seized her by the arm. "'Par ici, par ici,' he cried. "'Votre maman vous attend, mademoiselle.' and they flew down the platform with the guard shouting warnings behind them. They were barely in time, and Barbara sunk panting into her seat. "'Fancy!' Aunt Anne cried indignantly. "'Fancy getting lost like that! It just shows that you are not fit to look after children when you cannot manage an umbrella.' Barbara was too breathless to reply, and too much amused, perhaps, really, to mind. The country was pretty enough, but it soon began to grow dusk, and they wondered when they would arrive in Paris. The train was due at seven-thirty, but there did not seem to be the least chance of getting in at that hour, for late as they already were, they continued to lose time on the way. The little Frenchman was their only companion, and he did not seem to know much English. 
However, between his shreds of that language and Barbara's scanty French, she managed to find out that they would not arrive in Paris until midnight. Aunt Anne expressed her annoyance in no measured terms, but he merely shrugged his shoulders and smiled, until she collapsed into a corner speechless with disgust. He left them at Rouen, and Barbara, watching her aunt sleeping in a corner, wondered what they would do when they finally did arrive at the station. But as soon as the lights of the Guerre de Lazare showed through the darkness, Miss Britton began to bestir herself, and when the train stopped, marched boldly out of the carriage as if she had been in Paris dozens of times. In a little while they were seated in a fiacre, going along through brightly lighted streets, feeling very satisfied that they were actually nearing their destination. But their content did not last long, for soon, leaving the lighted thoroughfares, they turned into a dark road with high walls on either side, and just a lamp now and then. It really seemed rather lonely, and they both began to feel uncomfortable, and to wonder if they were being taken to the wrong place. Stories of mysterious disappearances began to flit through Barbara's brain, and she started when Aunt Anne said in a very emphatic tone, "'He looked a very nice cabman, quite respectable and honest.' "'Yes,' Barbara said meekly, though she had hardly noticed him. "'I knew it was some distance from the station, of course.' "'Yes,' Barbara replied once more, and added, "'Of course,' as Miss Britton began to look rather fierce. "'It was a little stupid of you not to think of proposing to stay in the station hotel while I was collecting the wraps,' she went on rather sharply, and Barbara was trying to think of something soothing to say, when the cab drew up suddenly, and they were both precipitated on to the hat-boxes on the other seat. Barbara put her hat straight, and looked out of the window. It certainly seemed to be a funny place to which they had come. The houses were high and narrow, and the one they had stopped at had a dirty archway without a single light, but as the driver showed no intention of getting down and ringing, Barbara stepped out and groped about for a bell or a knocker of some kind. Then the cabman, pointing with his whip up the archway, said, Numero quatorze par là. The girl did not much relish going into the darkness by herself, for she was sure there must be some mistake. But she was afraid that, if Miss Britton got out too, the man might drive away and leave them, so she begged her aunt to remain in the cab while she went into the archway to make inquiries. After some groping she found a bell-rope, and rang three times without receiving any answer. She was just about to ring again, when she heard stealthy steps approaching the door, and the next moment it was opened, disclosing to her frightened gaze a dirty-looking man, wearing a red nightcap and carrying a candle in his hand. Barbara recoiled a step, for though she had been sure there was some mistake, she had not expected anything as bad as this. However, she managed to gasp out, "'Madame Belvoise?' and was intensely relieved to see the fellow shake his head but he leered at her so horribly that she waited to make no more inquiries, but turned and fled back to the fiacre. "'This is not the right place,' she pouted, "'and I'm thankful it isn't. There's such a horrid man.' "'A man? But she was a widow,' Aunt Anne said vaguely, and her niece could not help laughing, for if that were the case there might have been brothers or sons. But the cabman was getting very impatient, and it was not an easy matter to argue with him, for when they insisted that this could not be number 14 Rue Saint-Sulpice, he merely shook his head and persisted that it was. Then suddenly a light seemed to break upon him, and he asked, Fourteen Rue Saint-Sulpice? Courcelles? Barbara shook her head violently, and said, Non, non, Nuelli. Whereupon, with much grumbling and torrents of words, that perhaps it was well she did not understand, he whipped up his horse, and she had hardly time to scramble into the cab before they swung off. They were very glad to leave the neighbourhood, for they saw the red nightcap peeping out at the end of the archway, and it seemed as if there were more friends of the same kind in the rear. 
"'It is most absurd for the man to think we should have been staying here. I think he must be mad.' "'Yes,' returned Barbara, not knowing what else to say, and they continued to rumble over more cobble streets and down dark roads, till they finally stopped in a dimly lighted street, which, however, was broad and clean, with fairly large houses on either side. Barbara got out with some misgivings, wondering what their fate would be this time. She had to ring several times as before, but as there was no dark archway, and the cab was close by, she had not the same fear. When the door opened she could distinguish nothing at first, but presently espied a little woman, in a white nightcap, holding a candle. "'Dear me,' she thought, "'candles and nightcaps seem to be the fashion here.' But aloud merely asked politely for Madame Beauvoir, hoping that she was not speaking to the lady in question. Before the portiere, for it was she, could answer, a bright light shone out at the far end of the passage, and a girl came hurrying down, saying, "'Madame Beauvoir, mais oui, entrez, entrez. C'est Mademoiselle Breton, n'est-ce pas?' Mademoiselle Britton was not a little relieved, and so, I am sure, was her poor aunt, who came hurrying out of the cab, and was so glad to get rid of it that she paid the ten francs the man demanded without a murmur. The French girl explained in broken English that her mother greatly regretted being absent, having been called away suddenly to an uncle who was ill, but that she and her sister would do their utmost to make Miss Britton comfortable. By that time they had reached the end of the passage, and were led into a comfortable room, where another girl was waiting. Tea was ready for them, too, and Barbara thought she had never appreciated it more. She tried to explain the reason of their late arrival, and told some of their adventures, but although both the French girls listened politely and smiled and nodded, Barbara thought that neither of them understood much of what she said. However, she did not mind that, and presently they were led the way upstairs into a room that was a haven of delight to the wanderers. The windows opened onto a garden, whence the scent of lilac floated, and the whole room, down to the hearth-brush which charmed Barbara, was decorated in blue. With the memory of that other Rue Saint-Sulpice still fresh in their minds, their present quarters indeed seemed delightful, and Barbara declared she could have fallen upon the necks of both girls and kissed them. "'A quite unnecessary and most impertinent proceeding,' Aunt Anne replied curtly. "'They will much prefer pounds, shilling, and pence to embraces.' And Barbara thought that, after all, she was probably right. End of chapter 2 Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.